Well, thank you again for joining us this morning on uh, this very special Sunday. This is the big deal for the Christian. This is the climax of the Christian calendar is this particular day. And that's uh, why we've made a bit of a, well, Kieran and Mel especially, made a bit of an extra effort uh, to make the venue look cool. And our team have made a special effort uh, for our children. And I've made a special effort on my talk. Uh, And so here we are. Um, I want to stay on track today, Lord help me, uh, because there's so much ground to cover. But can I just firstly say this, especially for those that are visitors and especially for the Bay Vineyard folk that are going through tricky times or who are wrestling with this. Can I just say this? You're, you're desperately loved by God. Like you're desperately loved by God. Like for some of, uh, we've got um, cheesters, I call you guys, you know, Christmas and Easter, keen to come to church. Like we've got cheesters here. Awesome. Like that's prima. Good on you. Like it's good. And, and I just want to say you're loved. You're just desperately loved by God. So often uh, our um, media and sometimes stupid pastors have made it sound like you've got to be good to go to church or you've got to be like, you know, good, then maybe you can go to church and God loves you and all that sort of stuff. It's the opposite. The whole reason Jesus came is because he loved us so much. And we don't, the, the scandal of Christianity is that you don't have to do anything but receive the love of God. That's it. You just have, now he doesn't force that upon you because he respects your free will. He desperately respects your free will. But if you choose to maybe kick the tires on the idea that Jesus is who he says he is, what you'll discover is that you're unbelievably loved. And you'll discover that, that not just theoretically, but you'll discover that as an experience. And many people in our church, could they would desperately want, if you're wrestling with this idea, would love to just look you in the eye and tell you their story about how they discovered a Jesus who loves them. It's the best. It's the best feeling. It's really good for your self-esteem. <laughs> like, it's really good. Like, the God of the universe loves me. Like, that's a pretty cool buzz. He wants to be my friend. He wants to be with me, especially when things are tough. Like, that's the whole story of the Bible. And that's what Jesus came. So I just, if you hear nothing else, and even if you, and if you don't believe some of the stuff I'm about to say, sweet as, I just pray that you know you're loved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're desperately loved by God. He, you have no idea how loved you are. He looks with you with longing, like, oh, you're the best. I love you. Okay? All right. Today, but that's, that's, that's last week's sermon. Uh, this, this week's sermon is about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. One of my favorite scriptures, Cass, do you want to bring up the first slide there, bro? In fact, no, the second slide. Um, my, this is one of my favorite scriptures to do with the resurrection. It says this, uh, Paul writing, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What a great opening line. I mean, this is so awesome. It's refreshingly honest. It's just so beautifully true. <laughs> like, you know, the message Sam Harvey version of this is like, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're idiots. We're absolute idiots. You're wasting your time this morning. The preaching's pointless. The whole thing is absolutely, we're wasting our time here. He goes on, he doesn't, he labors it. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So he's saying every single preacher over the last 2,000 years has been a false witness because they've got it wrong. Like that's got huge implications. But he did. Uh, but it, he did not raise him, and oh, sorry, but 
uh, from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So we're going to talk about that in a second. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So be encouraged. It's like, I love this passage. I absolutely adore it. And especially for any skeptics in the room, it's like, I love that this is in our holy book. Like the holy books, like if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, we're wasting our time this morning. I'm wasting my breath. This whole thing's a hoax. The, the Christian faith is absolutely grounded and based. The cornerstone of everything is that he rose again from the dead. It's everything. If he did not rise, we're wasting our time. The whole thing's an absolute hoax. If he did, there's huge implications like huge implications for us. And that's what we've really got to look at today. So today we celebrate the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And in the creed, the Nicene Creed, it says, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. That is what we believe as followers of Jesus today. Now, uh, there is a, a whole lot of evidence that the resurrection actually took place. Uh, I'm going to post an article uh, on our Facebook page. I was going to do it on our private community secret Facebook page, but I'm going to stick it on the public page so that if you're visiting with us today and you're not part of that group, you can read it because I cannot go into all the depth of the evidence of the resurrection. But there's a number of um, key things I just want to mention before we jump into the main text today. Uh, The first is this, that they couldn't find a body. Like the early church desperately tried to find a body. Uh, not the early church, the Roman Empire and the religious system at the time, which I kind of like, you know, like Jesus was bugging the religious people. The religious people and the, the Roman Empire, like a body would have just sorted out the whole thing real quick. It would have just tidied up the mess, but they didn't find a body. Um, and uh, that's because his body wasn't there anymore in that tomb. Uh, the stone wasn't rolled away so that he could come out. The stone was rolled away so that we could look in and see that there was nobody there. Uh, I heard this great little um, uh, thing from a newspaper way back in the day where there was, you know, there's kind of like this question and answer kind of forums. And this lady wrote in this, this uh, question, she said, Dear sirs, she said, uh, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that this, the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. Well, uh, dear bewildered, uh, they they replied, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for hours, run a spear through his side and put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens. Sincerely, Charles. (laughs) I believe in the resurrection, just for the record. Uh, It's a historical fact that this went down and, uh, and they could not, they could not produce a body. Secondly, Jesus appeared to a lot of people after his death, which sounds crazy. It really does. But we believe that Jesus rose again and appeared to hundreds of people. And what's interesting is that uh, these these people uh, didn't just, um, you know, I don't know, they weren't just on the plank or, or smoking meth or, you know, these are like normal people who all witnessed Jesus with them, standing in front of them. And uh, in particular, uh, for the Apostle Paul, he had this, the resurrected Jesus, he stood in front of him at a certain point. Now, the Apostle Paul um, was like the person who was persecuting Christians in this whole new Messiah movement. 
And then like he goes from that to joining that tribe. So he leaves his enviable life of privilege and he leads, uh, you know, he, he leaves all of that in exchange for imprisonment, beatings, stonings, the old-fashioned kind, not the newer version, starvation, shipwrecks, traveling thousands of miles to tell people that Jesus had come back from the dead before being executed for his beliefs. Like the, the change in the people was dramatic. It was dramatic. And, uh, and this is it's interesting, Charles Colson, who um, was actually one of Nixon's like henchmen, he was, a real, uh, he was a real bad, he actually had to do prison time after Watergate, but he, um, he came to faith and he said this, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured and stoned and put in prison. They would have not endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a life for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a life for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So this is, again, this is all historical evidence that the resurrection took place. The third, uh, the, the third point is that Christianity totally exploded after this moment. Um, you know, theoretically, it should be no more Jesus, no more Christianity. Quite simple, especially at that place in time. Um, and the population, as we are, was staunchly opposed to the idea that people came back from the dead. And the idea of worshipping a man would, would be like the lowest form of blasphemy. Uh, well, after Jesus was crucified, tons of people started proclaiming that he had risen from the dead. And Christianity exploded and believers were multiplied exponentially. Uh, and it was something happened to these Jewish believers to say that a crucified Messiah, not a triumphant Messiah, which is what they were expecting from a Jewish paradigm, a person who comes and says, I am the Messiah, should actually kick out the Roman Empire and set up once more the glory of Israel. Someone who dies at the hands of the Romans should not be the Messiah unless something to change the, the Jewish paradigm has taken place to say, that is our Lord and we're going to follow him even to death. And that's what happened in the early church. Uh, Bono, uh, the lead singer from U2, said this, Jesus went around saying that he was the Messiah. And that's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. He said, forget about rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. I find it hard to accept that millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched and have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just don't believe it. Philip Yancey said this in his great book, The Jesus I Never Knew, that if you want to kick the tires on the Christian faith and you're too scared about Alpha, this is a good, uh, good one to have a look at. But he says this, In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. I'll post that article, but there is a lot of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Our faith, it is a faith. Everyone has a faith. Every person, whether you're atheist or whether you're Christian, has a faith in something and in some belief paradigm. It takes faith to believe in Jesus. But there is, it is not a blind faith. It is a, it is a, it's a faith based on evidence that he indeed rose from the dead. Let's jump into the text this morning and have a look at, uh, at what's going on here. 
and what it means for us. John 20, uh, we're going to read 23 verses here. Good Sunday to read a good chunk of Scripture. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is from the Gospel of John. He's so self-effacing. It's like, I don't want to mention my name, but it's the one that Jesus especially loved. There's so many awesome dynamics going on in here. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached there first, just for the record. Okay, John. There's this thin veneer of humility as he writes his gospel, like the other disciple, which he's obviously, anyway. So he bent over after he won the running race, and he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. All their personalities are coming through here. John's just timid and free. This would be me, I think. I'll be very nervous about this moment. The other disciple uh, outran and reached to me. Then Simon Peter came along behind and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first for the record once more also went inside and he saw and believed. And at this point, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So there's a lot of confusions going on here. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus, probably because of tears and snot and all that stuff that goes on at these moments for many women. Um, And men, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I'll, and I'll get him. She said, Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, he said it in just the right way. He, he said it in a way that she'd heard before many times. I don't know what it was like. Mary. Mary, (laughs) Mary, whatever. All of a sudden, she's like, whoa. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And then Jesus said, do not hold on to me. (laughs) All go. Uh, For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told him what uh, he had said. She told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week, then when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> I wish I could have been. I, you know, when you get to heaven and you're like, Can I have a few glimpses of the David and Goliath story? I want to be in this moment. That would have been like, and then you kind of get this. The first thing you have to say is peace, like chill, easy, okay. Hello, it's me. Uh, as the Father has sent me, you, I'm sending. Uh, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven." Just a breathless 
you can feel it, this breathless account. And all of the different gospel accounts have a different kind of record of what went on here. But it, you can just feel the, the confusion and the pace. And the, but there's so many epic little moments in here that I want to just highlight. Firstly, the first witness to this incredible moment to see Jesus is this woman, Mary Magdalene. And she discovers the empty tomb, and then she's the first one to see the risen Christ. And this is so beautiful on a whole lot of levels. Firstly, to me, it actually adds credibility to the historical documents of the Gospels, because you, if you were trying to construct some sort of faith, you wouldn't put a woman as your witness. It was a very patriarchal society. We've come a long way, thank you, Lord. Uh, but... Women weren't credible witnesses at this particular point in history. Just no credibility at all. And so uh, in the Gospels, however, they've got women as being the first witnesses to this. Not only this, I mean, Jesus the feminist, you really got to love him. The, the, the apostle to the apostles, the bringer of good news is this woman, Mary Magdalene. Not a woman who's, you know, like some scholar or religious, a very broken woman who encountered the love of Jesus and was healed because of, of her interactions with Jesus, she's the one tasked with giving the news to the disciples. Don't you love God? The way he sets it up. I mean, it's just so epic. Uh, the very first evangelist earlier in the Gospel of John is, uh, is another woman that Jesus meets at a well and has these words about her life. And then she goes back to this village and is the first evangelist saying, you've got to meet Jesus. You've got to meet this person, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is very good at empowering women. And he did it very wisely at the time and stage of that particular culture. And the church, for the most part, has picked up that baton, but you know, there's a wee bit of work to do still, amen. Um, and so she's the first witness. And so Peter bowls on in, John's a bit freaked out, and the disciples go back to where they're staying, and they're just like nervous because they don't want to get beaten up by the religious people. Oh, that makes me nervous as a pastor, but whatever. Um, you know, they're just freaking out because this is such a, it's a volatile time in history. Passover has just happened. All of this stuff's going on. And then Mary Magdalene sees Jesus, thinks he's the gardener. Now, John, uh, as he wrote all this stuff, was very intentional about what he put in into the story. And there's some little glimpses here of, because John's writing this, Decades later, as he's reflected on the, on the events of that day, and so he's trying to help people join some dots about what's going on here. And the fact that, Je that Mary thinks that Jesus is the gardener has all of these echoes to Genesis 1. And it's very interesting. Brian Zand, uh, on his reflection on this, says this, On Good Friday, Jesus was buried in a garden. A garden is a place to cultivate and grow living things, an appropriate place for Jesus to be buried. A few days before his crucifixion, Jesus had said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. On Holy Saturday, the Son of God was a holy seed sown in a peaceful garden. On Easter Sunday, the garden brought forth the first fruits of resurrection. Jesus Christ declared to be the Son of God by resurrection from the dead. The first seed raised by God in the garden of resurrection became the gardener. When Mary Magdalene supposed him to be the gardener, she was exactly right. Jesus is now the gardener of resurrection, cultivating new life in all who believe. The first Adam was a gardener who failed in his task, and the world became a wasteland of war and sin. But the second Adam will succeed in his task. Christ will restore the ruined garden. With Christ as the gardener of new creation, we have a hopeful eschatology. 
what eschatology means is a belief in what happens at, at the end of the, of the world, at the end of the age. So in this text, John is very intentionally pointing out that this is a new creation. You'll notice a number of times in that text, he says, it's the first day. It's day one. It's the first day of new creation once more. The uh, British author G.K. Chesterton said this, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night, and what they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with new heaven and a new earth and and a semblance of a garden of God walking again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but the dawn. And so we have this beautiful new creation that begins to take place. And uh, Mary Magdalene runs back to the disciples, tells them all about this. Later that evening, Jesus stands before them, and, uh, and the text says that they were overjoyed. Uh, Cairo rejoiced exceedingly. When Jesus stood before the disciples, they peeked out. I mean, can you imagine? You've got to, this is a good day to try and get your imaginations going. Can you imagine following Jesus for those three years and beginning to think, whoa, I think this guy is the Messiah the sadness and confusion about his, his death, even though it had been prophesied, and then to see him standing before them three days later, the risen Christ, they rejoiced exceedingly. So what does the resurrection mean for us? Uh, well, it has some big implications for us. Uh, for those that believe that Jesus actually did rise from the dead, there's some hope that we can put into these events. Firstly, Uh, the implication is that death has lost its sting, according to the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says death has lost its victory, it's lost its sting. In Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Death is an enemy, it is no longer an enemy, I need fear. It's really important that we understand this. Uh, Death has been defeated because Jesus himself died, but death could not contain his divinity and his power. Jesus defeated the power of death. In the New Testament, however, when when they talk about death, they don't mean the moment of dying, which is what most of us think. Uh, Jesus himself said, you're going to die. So be encouraged again this morning. Uh, you're all going to die one day, but, the, but when they talked about death in the, the New Testament, they meant what happens after you die. The grave, sleep, nothingness. There's all these kind of theories, Sheol, Hades, there's all these words that they would use to try and, and there's all these different theories. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was only one belief in the early church that when you die, there is a period of rest with him. And then one day we will be resurrected to be with him. Resurrection is the hope we have. That's why Jesus was called the first fruits. The Christian belief in all the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, all of that, is that one day we will rise again with Jesus. But before then we will pass through death, but we do not have to fear that moment of dying anymore. It has lost its sting. Because Jesus has taken the power from that and destroyed the power that death has and has risen again, defeating the power of death. And all who believe in Jesus one day will rise again with him in glory. 
And so I've I had the privilege a number of times of being with faithful men and women of God as they have died. And it has been just an unbelievable privilege. The, the times my faith, to be honest, has been strongest is when I have witnessed followers of Jesus die. Because in that moment, it is such a thin place between heaven and earth. It's like you could reach, like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven's near. It's like you could reach out and touch it and worship. It's like the kingdom, you can almost feel it. And I tell you what, when I've been with believers who have died, it's just been like, oh, what a privilege. Because they haven't, there's been no fear. You know, like half the time because of the morphine and they're unconscious. So, you know, granted. But, but even before that, there's been no fear for those that have had this deep faith and have meditated, as you should, every Easter on what the, the resurrection means for us. There ha- there's been sadness and, and we, you know, no one's happy about this. But the reality is that Jesus has defeated that, and we can, I can feel his presence. My grandfather nearly passed away about three times. So I was with him a number of times over the decade before he finally kicked the bucket. And like one time, we, he was in hospital, and it was like, uh, and he said, oh, man, it's really weird. At midnight, around midnight, a whole lot of islanders are coming in and singing gospel songs on the ward. He said, it's, it's stunning, it's unbelievable, the harmonies and the guitars, it's beautiful, all this worship to God. And he, he was convinced the, the Polynesian boys and girls were coming in to, to, to sing songs to some rally down the hallway. And like, mum was like, eh. <laughs> And so she'd talk to the, the nurse, the, the board, uh, the nurse in charge of the ward, and be like, you know, is, uh, is this, you know, what's going on? Says, There's no way we would let a bunch of islanders turn up in the middle of the night and sing songs. It's quiet time. So we're like, okay, pop, you know, whatever, man. Like, and mum's like, mate, you know, he, he could hear the sound of heaven as he, as he was lying in bed there. Um, you know, uh, the most incredible story I've ever heard is, uh, this is um, not third or fourth hand. You know how pastors hear these stories and they get bigger. This is one of my mates, okay? So one of my friends in Christchurch, um, Steve and Catherine Hannon, uh, Catherine, um, so that Catherine and Steve both went through all sorts of stuff and wound up marrying each other. Before they got married, Catherine was married to this man who eventually died of cancer. Beautiful family. And before... Um, <clears throat> Uh, and so as he got this terminal disease, as a church, we were praying that God would heal him, but also just trusting, you know, in God and whatever, however it was going to play out. And, um, and, and he was talking to our pastor in Christchurch, Dave, and, and he was a bit nervous about what was going to happen when he died. And our pastor, Dave, said to him, um, he said, when you die, it's like falling asleep in the car when you're on holiday, and then you wake up and you're in your bed. It's like, that's what it's like. And now, Catherine didn't know David had this conversation with uh, her, her husband, Kerry, and he died. And a uh, very hard young family, and it was a tragic situation. A number of months later, Catherine had a very vivid dream. And in this dream, her husband rang her on the phone. And so she was on the phone having this conversation. She said it was so vivid. And in this dream, she, her, um, her husband said to her, I'm only allowed to do this once. Um, <laughs> full on A. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, and they had, she said we had a random conversation about all sorts of kind of things. And then he said, she said, in this dream on this phone call, um, her husband said, oh, by the way, tell Dave it was exactly like he said. And so she was very, so she woke up, she could recall the dream vividly. She said she'd never had another dream like that at all. Um, but then, so she went to Dave and said, 
what did you say to him? Because he said to me in this really vivid dream, it was exactly like you said. And then Dave said to her, I said to your husband, it's like going to sleep in the car and then you wake up, your parents have moved you to another bed and you wake up another room. That's what it's like when you die. And so as you can imagine, she's blown away. I'm, we're all blown away. I mean, it sounds like right out there, okay? And I'm, you know, any, all of our Bay Vineyard goes, no, I'm not one to share these sort of stories. I know this, these people and they're normal as well, Okay. No drugs involved, you know, like they're just very normal people like you and me, well, some of you. And, uh, and this is the experience. Death has lost its sting. We cannot, we don't have to fear that anymore because he's risen, he's defeated death. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's a paradox. You will still die, but you'll actually not die. <laughs> Because we will one day be raised again to be with him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 1 Corinthians 15, a very important passage on the resurrection. But it says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so there's this incredible hope that we have that, uh, and in the creeds we say we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. This is in the early church, it was like, Many people in the early church went off and were martyred in horrific ways. And as they were baptized and as they took communion and as they gathered together, they would say these creeds that say, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. Even under the persecution of Nero, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. It doesn't matter what Nero does to us because we believe in the resurrection of the dead, that one day we will be raised to life with him. Tragically in the church, we've got very focused on going to heaven when we die as the big destination. That is not what the early church believe or the the scriptures emphasize. The scriptures emphasize resurrection bodies, resurrected from the dead. That is the ultimate Christian hope. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, who's an amazing Christian scholar on all of this stuff, says it's the Christian hope is life after, life after death. You have to like tweet that one and then like, trying to explain it because it's like he's talking about yes when you die you'll be with you know on the cross the the, the criminal said you'll be with me in paradise Jesus said to that criminal there is a sense where we, we rest with him when we die but the ultimate hope is that we will rise again and that heaven will be reunited with earth Revelation 21 and 22 and that the glory of God will cover the world like the like the waters cover the sea and Genesis 1 instead of a garden we now have a city and this good earth that he made We will be in with resurrected bodies that are a bit different to our previous bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, not animated physically anymore, but animated spiritually somehow. I don't get it. He could walk through walls. Sounds like fun. Sign me up. That this world and all the war and death and all of that will be dealt with. He will wipe away every tear. This is the Christian hope that one day we will be resurrected again. Which, last point is this that in the resurrection, that God is launching this new world that we're talking about in the resurrection of Jesus. And this new world is still within the old world, but that new world is transforming this old world. That at the end of this passage on, on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, at the very end of it, Paul says, therefore we do not labor in vain. So he's done this whole chapter on physical bodily resurrection one day. And then he says, therefore, now we do not labor in vain. The reason why is because they recognized that in the resurrection, God's new world had begun. 
that death had been defeated, that in the garden once more, God was creating new creation and bringing new life by His Spirit. And that our task in the present and anticipation of that age to come is to partner with God in the renewing of all things to redeem and restore this very world in which we live, to tell the good news to all the people in the bay that you're loved by God and that you can know life. Everything you pursue, you're trying to find life, it's found in Jesus, you come fully alive. And He restores all things. He wants to restore this creation. He wants to eliminate poverty, get rid of war. And so the task of the Christian in the present is to partner with God in the renewal of all things. He brings us to life and we partner with him in that. N.T. Wright says it like this, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the beginning of Acts, nobody is saying, Jesus is raised from the dead, therefore there is life after death, therefore we're going there, yay. They say Jesus is raised from the dead, therefore he really is the Messiah, therefore he really is the Lord of the world, therefore God's new creation has begun, and therefore we have a job to do. It's what John 20 and 21 are all about. It's what Luke 24 is all about. It's this astonishment. This has happened. And that means we've got to take this message out and make it happen in the world. A new creation. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the beginning of the recreation of the cosmos. And that's what we're a part of. Oh, so good. Sorry, I'm excited anyway. Jesus says on the... uh, He's the lamb on the throne, and in the revelation, end of Revelation, he says this, I'm making all things new. I'm making all. And you know, this is what he's doing in me, and this is what he's doing in you. And this is what he wants to do in every one of us, is make us new. So good. And uh, this is why it matters that we care for creation. You know, if it's just about going to heaven when you die, then we might as well, as Christians, spray CO2 full-time in the air and hasten the day so that the world gets destroyed and thrown in the trash bucket so that we can all go to heaven. It's not what it's about. It's about new creation and about new life bursting into the world in this Resurrection Sunday. But we come back, as I come into Lamb, we come back ultimately to this. If he rose again, we've got to take him seriously. And if he didn't, then... There's golf courses and cafes to enjoy, and we've got to work out what our worldview is going to be. You've got to have some sort of understanding of what it means. But I believe he rose again, not because of just the historical evidence, but because I've experienced his life and his love, and it makes sense. There's confusing bits of the Bible. There's lots of things that I'm not quite sure about. I scratch my head a lot. But I believe he's good, I believe he's love, and I believe he's making all things new, and he uses ordinary Muppets like you and me to do that. Pretty cool. Gives me purpose in the present and hope for the future. And so I believe that he has risen. As we declare often in our liturgies, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again in glory. Amen. All right, we're going to... um, Here's what I'd like to do, actually. We're going to, hand it, we're going to hide some chocolate bars in a second, or chocolate things. We're all going to have to hide them cleverly because we're going to have an Easter hunt for the kids in a second. What I'd like to do is just pray, and then we'll hand out the chocolate bars. Then we're going to invite the kids back in, and we're going to um, <laughs> turn on our LED cross really hardcore. <laughs> just again for all our guests and visitors, this is not... This is an Easter Sunday extravaganza. Um, thank you, Karen and Mel. And we're going to have a bubble machine for the kids, and we've got flashing lights, and it's a real disco. So we're going to. This is the day we celebrate as a church. Uh, and again, for all of those that have been doing Lent, Hallelujah! Today He's risen. I've been fasting alcohol. Got a little Darian, and uh, got got the keg backstage. We're going <laughs> to. 
joking. Yes. Sorry, I completely ruined the moment. What I'd like to do is pray. Um, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray, and, and, and especially for those who aren't sure about all this stuff. I just want to pray and just uh, give an opportunity for us just to sit for a second, and then we're going to turn on the bangers. And uh, the, the, not turn on the bangers, we've got no bangers, but we're going to sing a banger, and we're going to turn on our LED cross, which is going to be cool, and the bubbles. Let me pray. Lord, so distracted about what's about to happen. Lord, help me focus. Lord, I, I pray for every person here that they would know your love, whether we've been following you for 40 years or for four minutes, or maybe we've never professed to believe that you are the Messiah, that you rose again, that you are God in the flesh. Pray that you'd somehow reveal yourself, Lord. And I, I especially pray this morning for those that are kicking the tires on this whole thing and who are, who are skeptical. Thank you that you loved skeptical people. Thank you that your disciples had skeptical people. Thank you that that's not an issue for you. You love people that are really truthful. So I pray for those that are skeptical or not sure. I just pray that they would take a journey that would just continue this morning. Uh, kicking the tires on whether these claims are true or not. We acknowledge today that if they're true, it really matters, and that if it's not, then uh, we can continue as we were. But this is the most important question that a human will face. Is Jesus who he says he is? And I ask, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself, because we believe you are who you say you are, that you rose again, and that mysteriously and beautifully you are doing a new thing in this world because of the resurrection. So help those of us that profess to follow you to partner with you in the, the recreation of all things until the day that you bring that work to completion. Help us, Lord God, to be people that are open to your transforming work in our own lives, transforming us from glory to glory to become more like Jesus. And Lord God, we look forward to that day that you do return in glory. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life eternal with you in a renewed heavens and new earth. And Lord God, all the surfing and fishing that that will entail, what a cool idea. Uh, Lord, may it be bountiful in this present time as well as in that future time. Amen. All right, sorry, just got excited about that.